Amen. Um, hey, before we uh, jump in to the word this morning, uh, I just want to ask you guys to be praying uh, for the Sinclair family. Uh, hopefully, uh, if you're on our email list, you got uh, the email uh, that Kate died on Wednesday after a really long uh, and courageous battle uh, with brain cancer. And uh, would love, love for us as a community to just surround them uh, in prayer, uh, Charlie and Emmett and Evie and Nora and their extended family, uh, Kate's family, the Bowmans. Um, please, please, please pray for them because uh, it's uh, an incredibly uh, devastating time. And I uh, wanted to remind you, if you didn't get this information, the memorial service is Monday at 2 p.m. Uh, at Gateway Community Church. That's a church off Franklin Road down in Franklin. That's uh, Kate's parents' church. They have a little bigger auditorium. Uh, so if you're able or you feel led to uh, be a part of that, know that's uh, at 2 on Monday. And also, uh, there was a GoFundMe page that got set up. We sent out information about that that is gathering funds to help Charlie uh, and their family uh, with their needs now and in the future. Uh, so uh, pray about that. Let the Lord lead you uh, in that as well. So, um, so yeah, Janie said we were going to talk a little bit about, uh, about the Lord's authority. I was uh, sitting at a stoplight the other day. I had gone and gotten a haircut, and um, I was driving back from where my haircut was, and I had the windows down because it was finally sunny and nice outside. And there was a car next to me and there was a family in the car next to me. And all I could see was I, what I guess was the mother and the, and the daughter who was sitting behind in the back seat. The daughter was kind of a teenager and they were playing music and it was very loud in the car. And I won't give all the descriptions that I could give for what was going on. But um, at one point the daughter uh, basically kind of reached up and grabbed her mother and said, mom, she goes, put your seatbelt on. And the mom literally, she kind of threw her head back and she goes, shut up. She goes, I'm an adult. I don't have to wear my seatbelt. <laughs> and uh, so I sat there and after I stopped judging her, which took a few minutes, uh, I was kind of laughing like, wow, what an, what an adult thing to say. But... Uh, I really started asking this question is, is, or I felt led to ask this question, where do I do that? Like what's, what's my version of that woman's response where I say, shut up, you can't tell me what to do, right? Like how do you respond? And for the record, kids, please don't say that word to your parents. There's lots of little people in here, but. How do you respond when someone says you have to do something or you, you can't do something? Like who, who in your life gets to tell you what you should do or you should not do? Like COVID, which we're all going through, right? COVID has been a nightmare to navigate in many ways because the rules and the guidelines are constantly changing, aren't they? And there's, there's confusion or there's frustration about who gets to set the rules, right? Is this a city rule? Is this a state rule? Is this a federal rule? Is this the CDC give this to us, right? There's debates constantly about which science is the right science, who has the facts on the science, right? Right? 
Some people wear masks, right? We're all wearing masks right now. Some people refuse to wear masks. Like some of you are getting worked up, even me just bringing this up and beginning to sweat, right? Because the, the truth is, I believe this, at least for me, I believe this, that we all have areas of our lives that we basically say this, no one gets to tell me what to do there. No one gets to speak into that. No one gets to give me any sort of directive there, right? That's mine to decide. That's, that's for me to decide. And in this passage that we're gonna look at today, and in the case that the Thessalonian church was in, there's parts of our lives that we're basically saying, I'll surrender that part of my life to the Lord, but I will not surrender this part of my life to the Lord. The Lord can kind of speak into this area of my life, but this area, this is kind of mine to make decisions about, right? I'm gonna keep the reins of that area of my life. And Paul is writing this young church that in, in many ways, as silly as that illustration with the lady in the car is, in many ways, just like that, that bickering between the mother and the daughter, this church is in the middle of an authority and a power struggle. They had an outside struggle going on because a lot of the people who had come to faith in Christ, they were coming out from underneath the influence of the Jewish leadership of the day, right? The Jewish leadership that had authority in their life. They were coming out from underneath that, right? And that Jewish leadership was not happy about that. And so they were persecuting them for their new faith and they were making life very hard on them because they were, they were basically saying, we want you to still be under our authority and under our control. So they had this outside struggle that was going on, but they also, this is what this text is gonna get into. They had this interior struggle going on. Because as a young church, they weren't using their freedom in Christ really well. It was like a teenager getting their keys for the first time. They're get, getting their keys. I don't know about you, I was not, <laughs> my poor parents, if they only knew what I did in, our, in, our, in their car. Sorry, I almost said our car. I didn't have a car when I was a teenager. I had their car, right? This church was like a teenager with a driver's license. They weren't using their freedom in Christ really well. And they'd been given this new spirit, this new life in Christ, but they were just learning how to walk in it and not walk in the flesh. And so Paul, he writes this to them, this chapter. He says, I'm, I'm like a father, I'm like an elder brother to you, right? He writes this chapter urging them. He's, he's flexing his relational authoritative muscle in their lives because he's saying, I, I deeply am I'm concerned and I care about you continuing to grow in this relationship with Jesus and how it affects your life. And I'm concerned about the witness that your lives are having on the outside world. So let's read uh, this passage Janie's gonna read for us now. This is First Thessalon Thessalonians. Thessalonians can be a little bit of a tongue tie, right? First Thessalonians 4, one through 12. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, 
For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. The word of the Lord. All right, let me, let me pray for us. Lord, apply this word to our hearts. Uh, help us soften our hearts uh, to what you have uh, to say to us, uh, Lord, as you, you love to father your children uh, and you father us in the ways that are best for us. Uh, help us to trust and believe that. In your name, amen. All right, a couple things, two, not three today, two things for us to consider uh, out of this text. The first one is this, uh, we've got an authority problem. You can write it down. Uh, and then secondly, uh, God's got an agenda about that. We've got an authority problem and God's, God's got an agenda. We've got an authority problem. Uh, when I say that to you, we've got an authority problem. Um, if you say this, no, I don't. Or if you thought this, like, eh, I mean, I'm not really so sure that I actually have an authority problem. If you just said or thought that, you just proved that you do, okay? If I have a problem with anyone telling me that I may have a problem, I have an authority problem, right? And Paul is saying, hey, hey, that's, that's, that's such a natural thing, uh, even when you become a Christian. It's not like it just all of a sudden a switch flips and you, you used to have an authority problem and now you no longer have an authority problem. He talks about this constantly <laughs> throughout his letters. There's this battle going on between the flesh and the spirit, between this new life we have in Christ and this old flesh, this old self that is being put to death, right? Paul reminds him some, of something really, really important here in verse one. He says, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you, which is kind of gentle, in the English language, it was a lot more uh, forceful, those words. I'm urging you in the Lord Jesus that, you, that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you're doing, that you do so more and more. I urge you in the Lord Jesus. Now, <clears throat> Paul's reminding them of something there right there in verse one is that this, if you are in Christ, you have an authority now. It's called, it's, it, it's, it's called the Lord Jesus, right? In the Lord Jesus. Verse two there, he says, you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus? Or another way to say that is by the authority of the Lord Jesus. That word instructions, um, that's not like when you get your instructions with your iPhone, how many of you have read any instructions with any like technical thing you've gotten recently, right? They give you this giant booklet and you kind of throw it down on the ground and you plug it in and you start going, right? Instructions, really, it's, it's, the, it's a military term of the day, like directives being given from a commander to his troops. 
And we, 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 we kind of read over certain parts of Scripture, and this is one of them. When he says, in the Lord Jesus, we simply read over that word Lord. Like it's, it's just kind of this mere title or it's this kind of designation. But that word Lord has meaning. And what it means is this, I have authority over every area of your life right now because you're in me. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says it like this. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, you've been given this Holy Spirit. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Saying your, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You no longer belong to yourself. Paul always was saying this. I no longer live, but it is Christ that lives in me. I have been saved from sin and from the wages of sin, which is death, right? But I've also been saved to this thing, a life now where my life glorifies God in my body. Paul's saying you have an authority. It's the Lord Jesus. He's your Lord. He's not just your Savior. He's your Lord. I don't know about you, when I hear the word Lord, it conjures up, uh, like I can't, all I can think of is like medieval sort of times where like someone's like, my Lord, right? You know, like kind of like, oh, my Lord. And it has this kind of, kind of negative, you know, indentured servitude sort of way about it. But let's just think about that word for a second. What sort of Lord is our Lord Jesus? What sort of Lord is he? Well, the Lord that we have in our life is a Lord who laid down his life. He's a Lord that doesn't lord his authority over his subjects, but he uses his authority and his position and his power. Go read Philippians 2, to serve. He humbles himself and he serves us. So much so that as Lord, he died because he loved us. And because of that, he's now saying, you, you've got the Holy Spirit indwelling. It says that there in verse eight, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. I have given you a new spirit, a new heart that allows you to actually follow me now. And I've given you my word. I've given you my instructions right? So that you can actually now walk and please God, right? You can do that more and more. He was talking to them and saying, you're, you're doing this, you're, you're doing it already, but come on, let's do it more and more. I want you to walk in a way that actually brings pleasure to the Lord. That's a powerful thing, what he's saying there, because he's basically saying in this, in this whole passage, this, I have given you all of the resources that you actually need to please me. Uh, namely, I've given you myself, which, which he's that kind of a Lord, right? Like what, it, it's a cruel thing for him as a Lord to say, hey, this is what I needed from you, but you actually don't have the resources to do that, but I'm gonna demand that of you. That's a taskmaster, right? 
But that's not the Lord we have. He said, I've given you everything you need for life and godliness in me. And so you have all of the resources. You have everything you need to please me. And I don't know about you, when you hear that word to please him, like <clears throat> I can kind of get the, get the clicks. Like, oh man, like isn't God pleased with me? And in one sense, absolutely. He's, he's completely pleased with you because you're in Christ. That's a safe, secure place. But it's a powerful thing to actually understand that we can actually please bring pleasure to the heart of the Lord by how we live our lives. And we don't please him in the sense that we earn his love. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to please God, appease. That's appeasing God. I'm not trying to appease him by my behavior so that I earn his love, right? Maybe some of you are recovering people pleasers. I'm one of them, right? I, I do things in order to get love. That's not what's being said here. Paul's talking about as we walk in our identity in him, it actually does bring pleasure. It brings joy to his heart. Like when John says, I have no greater pleasure than to know that my children are walking in the truth. It pleases the heart of the Lord because we're living as we are, his. So we don't do to be loved, we do because we are loved because that's our identity. We're his beloved. Even Jesus says this, I only do what pleases the Father, right? He understood this. I can bring pleasure to the heart of the Father when I live fully in my identity as his son. So we do, we have an authority problem. But God, he has an agenda about this. He has an agenda. And it says it there in verse four. Or sorry, verse three. For this is the will of God. God has a will, and it's this, your sanctification. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, sanctification, uh, that's a really big, fancy theological word, um, but it effectively means this, that I actually do begin, when I, when I begin to go on this journey with Jesus, I actually begin to be less and less under the influence of my sin and of my flesh, right? That I, I die more and more my whole life, right? To my sin and my flesh, I die to being my own authority. And I actually begin to live more and more, like he says there in verse one, more and more in line with my new nature, who I am in Christ because I'm a part of his family now. Hebrews 10 talks about, the, talks about it like this. It, he says, for by one sacrifice, what Jesus did on the cross, he has made perfect, so we've been made perfect. We have the righteousness of Christ. That's a done thing. We are justified in him. He has made perfect those who are being made holy. Those who are actually learning how to live in the justification that they already have. I'm being sanctified. I'm being made into what I truly am. Because that's my family now. I'm a part of this family. I was with, Parker was playing basketball last week and they had, a, they had a, one less kid than they needed for the beginning of the game. And so they borrowed a kid from the other team. And I, I remember thinking when the kid came over, I was like, is he really gonna play hard for our team? Like, 
and he actually did to his, uh, to his merit, but uh, it, it would literally be like Jesus saying, I have, I've taken you off of this team called, called sin and flesh, <laughs> and I've put you over here in this team called holy and righteous and mine, and, and I've put this new designation, this new robe, this new jersey on you, but you're going back to playing for the old team. You're, you're actually playing for the other team when really this is the team that you're made to play on, right? My will is that you would be sanctified, that you would play on the team that I've rescued you, rescued you to play on. And what sanctification begins to look like in our lives, go read verse four there. He says there that you would abstain from sexual immorality. We'll get to that in a second. That each of you would know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. What sanctification looks like is this. I actually gain something back, which is the capacity to control myself in a new way. That I have the power now. Man, this is, this is so important because we, we lost this in the garden. We lost the power to make a, a choice in the garden. After, after sin, and the fall, all, all I could choose, even when I was making what seemed on the surface to be good choices, they still had me in them. But, but at Calvary, <laughs> because of what Jesus did, I got the power back to make a different choice. The choice not to glorify myself, the choice not to seek my own self-pleasure. I got the power back to make a different decision. And he's saying, you've been given this power to control your body in holiness because you are holy, in honor because you have, you have the honor of being in the family. I can make choices now that reflect the design and the dignity and the created value that he has given me and the relationship that I have with him. Self-control is one of the, yeah, I almost broke something I don't believe. It isn't one of the fruits of the Spirit because the fruits of the Spirit aren't a bunch of different things. It's all a part of the Spirit. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, right? Just like the lack of self-control is the fruit of sin and flesh. That's what he says there when he says, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles do who do not know God. You know him. You are known by him. He's saying that there's this battle between this, this new spirit-led self-control and this passion of the flesh, just being a creature of my impulses or a creature of my emotions or a creature of my appetites. That passion of lust is that word epithemia. I've talked about it many times. It doesn't mean uh, a bad desire, like, the, like a desire for sex is a bad thing, but it's an over-desire. It's where the desire has run outside of the banks of what God intended it to be. It's desire gone mad beyond God's design. And he's saying, I, I've given you this new capacity to even control that. And he, he addresses that self-control in three specific areas. And I'm not gonna dig in, especially with all the little people into all of this this morning. But in three areas, that they, the Thessalonian church, really needed instruction. Like the three areas at least that we can kind of gain from this text is this. They were struggling with sexual sin. They were struggling some in their relationships and they were struggling in this issue of work, okay? So 
sex, relationships, and work. I mean, that covers a lot of life, doesn't it? So first area he addresses is, is this area of sexual sin. And I'll just say this, um, for that t- day and age, I mean, you may think that, that we've got issues today in this area, and we do. But there was not a more controversial uh, difference in first century Rome than this. The way that Christians, the Christian ethic of sex uh, within the context of marriage and how that was being lived out was so radically controversial compared to the norms of the day. And I could go into all the norms of the day and I'm gonna spare you all of that this morning. But it, it was a shocker to, to first century Roman culture, how Christians viewed and lived in, in relationship to sex. And, and what Paul is saying is, is this, that God gives clear instructions, clear authoritative directives in scripture of what is in bounds and out of bounds in our sexual lives. I've used this metaphor before. Maybe it's because we have a little cute stream that flows in our backyard. And then when it rains really hard in Nashville, it becomes this whitewater uh, rafting experiment. Um, but that, that's a good picture for our sexual life. There, there's a river within its banks, which is beautiful, right? It's a beautiful thing that provides life, but a river outside of its banks is a destructive thing, right? And the, and the Thessalonian church was struggling because in this area of their life, in this area of sex, they were out of bounds, right? The river was spilling over the banks. And if you, I mean, we could go back and read the text there. They were sinning against one another and the Lord. And the Lord is saying, this is serious because you're acting in a way like the Gentiles who don't know God. The way you're acting in this area of your life is like basically saying, I don't know anything about you. It's like the woman in the front seat of the car. You can't tell me what to do, right? You're acting in a way that isn't honoring his authority in your life. And it's also not honoring your brother and your sister. No one who transgresses and wrongs his brother in this matter uh, because of the Lord. The Lord's an avenger in all these things. They were wronging one another. They were hurting one another who were created in God's image. And what he's saying here when he says the Lord is an avenger in all of these things, he's saying, I'm a jealous God, right? I love you so much that I'm going to avenge this kind of sin. That word avenge literally means I'm going to punish it. That should cause us to stop. Again, it's like when I said, you know, can you please God? It should kind of stop and make us really consider something. What in the world? What's he saying there? That he avenges this kind of sin, that he, he punishes this kind of sin. Well, there are a couple of different ways this happens. Romans 1 talks about it where the Lord literally says, if you want to run into that kind of sin, I will withdraw a little bit. I'll give you your space. I'll turn you over to it and I will let the natural consequences of it, I'll let you eat from the table of that. And you'll see what it'll do in your life. It'll, it'll bring destruction into your life. 
But there's also times where the Lord says, I'm, I'm gonna punish it like a father disciplines his sons and his daughters that he loves, like Hebrews says. Because if you, if you love a child, you discipline a child, right? Because it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. A father disciplines his sons because he wants fruit to be born, righteous fruit, good fruit, not a harvest of thorns. So he punishes that sin, not because he loves punishing us, right? God does not love that. Like I remember when my father uh, used to discipline me, he used to say this to me. Uh, he would say, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And I used to think that's not possible, right? But now as a father, I actually do understand what he meant by that, which is, is that when I have to discipline my sons or my daughter, that it, there's a part of me that it wrecks your heart because you care about them so much, right? There's a, there's a pain involved in that. But to not discipline my kids would be to be loving myself, not loving them, loving my comfort, not loving them. And the Lord's saying, I, I love you. And so I'm gonna discipline you, right? Proverbs 13, whoever scorns instruction will pay for it. If you say, I scorn your authority, Lord, I don't want your authority in my life, you will pay for that. It will wreak havoc in your life. But whoever respects a command is rewarded. Whoever spares the rod hates their children. But the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. That's what Paul is doing right now. He's fighting for them to live in God's design for their sexual life as Christians. But that's not the only area. He says, I'm fighting for you to live in God's design for your communal life. Verse nine, he says, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. I think this is hilarious. You don't need anybody to write to you, but I'm still gonna write to you, all right? You ever, you ever have someone say that like, hey, I know you know this. I know you know this. I know you know this. But let me tell you, right? That's kind of what Paul's doing here. I don't need to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another for indeed that's what you've been doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia, not just the people in the church, everyone. But I urge you, keep going, do it more and more, right? He's saying, I don't have to write to you. I don't have to remind you. You have been taught by God himself like an apprentice under a master painter who learns all of his ways and all of his techniques. And Paul is saying, I'm, I'm thanking God because you've been apprenticed by God in the way of love by God himself. How is that possible? Like, what does he mean when he says that? You've been apprenticed, literally taught by God to love one another. What he's saying is this. It's what 1 John 3.16 says. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ, he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. They've been taught by God to love one another because they have looked at God and said, how have you loved me? That's how he has taught us to love. We look at him and how have you loved? And his love is a giving love, not a taking love, right? He understands this, he sees this, that you're loving one another in a self-sacrificing way. And that's where it gets to this last part where he talks about work. 
because there was a group in the Thessalonian church that was struggling to actually love in this area of work. Read there in verse 11, aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Now, that can almost, when you, when you read it outside of context and outside of what I'm about to just share, kind of sound like a departure from community, can it? Like a departure from relationship, a departure from love. Like just be self-sufficient is what you can kind of hear there. Need no one and leave everyone else alone, right? Just lead a quiet life. Like I grew up in the Midwest, which maybe this is true everywhere else, but the Midwesterners have their own special version of these interpretation of these sorts of verses um, where it's literally like, somehow it got imported into our minds that the goal of life literally is, and the goal, what God wants from you is not only to not need anybody, but to not need him. Like you, sh that's what Jesus wants from you is to be so self-sufficient that when you even spend time with them, it's like, isn't it great that they all need you, but you know, we're good, right? That's not what Paul's saying here. He's not saying be self-sufficient, need nobody, leave everyone alone. What Paul is saying here is this, he had, and we have to kind of jump outside the text to understand this, outside of this exact text. It talks about it in chapter five, verse 14. He had gotten a report from Timothy, right? Timothy was coming back and telling him, this is what's going on in the Thessalonian church. A lot of powerfully good things. But like any report, he's saying, hey, this area of sexual sin, this needs to be spoken into. In this area of loving one another, especially in this area of work, this needs to be spoken into because there was actually a group of the Thessalonian church that was just freeloading off of the community in such a way. And it wasn't that they couldn't work, it was that they actually refused to work. It says there in chapter 5, 14, we urge you brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive those who are idle and disruptive, I don't know about you, um, I, my mom always wanted me to be busy doing something because she understood that idle hands uh, oftentimes get into trouble, right? Uh, sometimes with a lot of downtime, I didn't always make the best decisions as a child. Idle hands uh, can cause trouble. And there was a group of people uh, that were actually struggling with idleness. And that idleness was having a profound effect, not just on the body, but on the people outside of the church. And these weren't, these weren't people who were just like, hey, this is a rough season and they're in need of assistance, which we all need in different times, right? These were people who were unwilling to actually do their part and be a part of the body. Which again, work, I mean, we could preach a whole sermon on work. Work is something God has a design and God has created us for. There's a reason why, and it's not always bad, it doesn't always mean you're a performance perfectionist, that when you sit and do nothing for too many days in a row, you feel antsy. It's because there's a part of you that God has made to put your hand to something, whatever that is, right? And the, these people who were struggling with idleness, they were, they were basically struggling with just a life of seeking personal pleasure 
right? Rather than being a part of the body in the Lord Jesus, a part of the community that actually is saying, hey, we are implicated in one another's lives and the lives of others. That's who he's made us to be. And Paul is saying, live in such a way because this is who you are now that is consistent and it reflects and is fueled by the way that God loves you. And what is God's love? This is how we know what love is. God's love is not a sit back and take love, right? He doesn't sit back and take. His love is not a me first sort of love, but it's a love that is provided by providing or that is, is marked by providing for others, not taking from others. And it was a love that in such a way when the, Paul was saying, when the outsider looks at you, when the people outside of this community look at you, uh, the, the hope is, is this, that they would look at you and see, I'm not trying to take anything from you. Rather, I have something to offer you. I have something to invite you into because of what has been done for me. That's why scripture says, they will know that you belong to me because of how you love. They will know that you belong to me because of how you handle your bodies in this area of sex. They will know that you belong to me because of how you approach your work. Because I care, the Lord cares. He wants authority in all of those areas of our lives. He's saying, I've made you to walk in certain ways in these areas of your lives. And when you do, it is not only what's best for you, it's what's best for the world. So for us, I just invite you to ask these couple questions. And this, will, this is something you'll have to do in your free time. If you, <laughs> no one ever takes me up on these sorts of things. So I'm trying to flex my authority right now. All right. Where does the Lord want to sanctify you? Like if he's saying this is God's will and these were specific areas that he was trying to root around in in the Thessalonian church because they were struggling in these areas. We all have our areas. Maybe those aren't your areas. But he's saying, he's saying, you know, it's God's will to sanctify you. Where does God want to sanctify you? What part of your life are you saying this, God, that area of my life is off limits. You, <laughs> you don't get to speak into that area of my life. Where, where are you saying, hey, you can be my savior of my sins, but you can't be Lord of my life? It's a good question to ask, and it's a good question to come back to often. Because for me, at least, he often shows me new areas of my life, and I'm saying, nah, no thanks. If you're struggling with that, I'll even give you another dare. Ask your spouse if you're married. Ask your spouse, where, where do you believe the Lord needs to sanctify me? I guarantee you they have some at least hunches right? <laughs> okay. Or ask a good friend if you're not married, somebody who you really love and you really trust and you know loves you. Say, hey, give me the grace of some feedback here. And would you do that and it, with this heart? Would you dare to believe that whatever the Lord would reveal to you, that the Lord isn't on a power trip, right? That he, he's not some megalomaniac who needs to control you but that he truly does love you and knows what is good and what is best for you. And would you invite him to instruct you and even rebuke you? Show you the place where maybe you're just living a life still, because I do it. 
this is all about pleasing me or pleasing other people, which oftentimes is just about pleasing me, right? If I can please you, that pleases me. Leaving a life of pleasing myself and seeking to please him. Because our prayer, my prayer is that our community, and let me just encourage you, like the Thessalonian church, Creef Hall loves well. This is a community that I really do believe that. that we, we are a community of people that really love one another and are fighting to love one another really well in very practical ways. Um, and I believe outside people see that and feel that when they come to our, our, our church. That they actually experience, there's something different about these people and it's Jesus, right? So let's continue more and more in that ways knowing that that actually brings joy to the heart of the Lord when we live in, in consistency with who he is and what he's given us for our life in him, okay? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you uh, for your word. Uh, thank you, Father. I know it's hard to say thank you sometimes when you use your authority, uh, which you have every right to do. Um, help us see that as an act of love, Lord, that your sanctification uh, is a gift uh, to us um, to make us more like you, uh, which is good for us, Lord. So humble us in the ways that we need to be humbled. Encourage us in the ways that we need to be encouraged. Uh, and would you make our community one that is being sanctified, that we would love more and more, and that we would surrender more and more of our hearts, our lives, our days, our time, everything uh, to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.